Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. When I got back to work this week, I had a conversation with a gentleman that works on our dock. He drives one of the forklifts. Who had, we hadn't seen each other in about three weeks because he had also gone on vacation before I left, so it had been a few weeks. So I'd asked him how his vacation went, like do we typically engage in conversation. And he said it went well that he had read a lot. He didn't go anywhere. He had read a lot. And he knew Landon and I had gone away. We talked about our trip. And when I asked him what he did, he said, I, I just hung around. I read a lot. Oh, what, what do you read? He said, well, I like to read historical things. I actually read a lot about Henry VIII. I said, oh, that's interesting. He, and he said, without provocation from me, he said, I didn't realize what an evil man he was. He said, I knew he was, he was into things. I knew he wasn't a good guy, but I didn't realize how evil he was. So that prompted a bit of conversation between us. And it took me back, especially of his use of the word evil. because That's a specific word, evil. And we had ensuing conversations about the evils of this world and how those same concepts that Henry VIII employed are alive and well today, which he agreed with. This week, you may have noticed on the bulletin, in addition to the article we put in the Weekly World Watch, I put in an article that Pastor Adrian had put on Slack in the general, the general channel on Slack that talked about the change in the refugee test that is present here in Canada that is, has been passed. It just hasn't been announced yet, but it has been passed. And if you took time to read it, it was, I'm not sure what word you could, you could put to it. It, it was just un, unfathomable. We have removed the condemnation of practices like honor killings. We have removed the condemnation of things like what is called female genitalia mutilation. We've removed those condemnation of those rituals. We have removed, believe it or not, from the immigration test, the fact that one must become gainfully employed when you come here. These concepts amongst those in this room leave us shaking our heads. How can any leader of any normal society not only vote, not only authorize this, think this up and vote for it in a Western nation? These quiet changes that fly under the microscope that we don't hear about because no one wants us to know because in part we are overburdened, we are stressed, we are 24-hour news has just, many of us just want to shut off the news because it is constantly so bad. We don't hear about these changes. And all the, the stress and chaos in keeping up with all of these policy changes is just what our adversary has ordered for us. He wants us numb. He wants us to 
to not pay attention. He wants us to become, oh, this is just something else, and become, and become where we're in this boiling water, that, that the proverb of the boiling water, and it's just boiling around us, and we don't even notice it. I can't help but ask myself, how can any rational leader think up such ridiculous nonsense? Never mind think, up, think it up, but take the time to process, should I vote for this or should I not vote for this? And then overwhelmingly, everybody says, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I, I, can't, I can't fathom this. I can't fathom this. We've just settled, as you know, this is old news, $10.5 million dollars much to the shock of most rational taxpayers, without even any consideration for the family that, that his initial crimes inflicted upon. Through our studies here over the last number of years and months, we have gained insight into what is behind these changing times. We've studied both Islam and Marxism and have tied them back to Nimrod. We have seen how World-ruling empires throughout history, and we had a great study today from Sister Olivia beginning the study into the empires. These are all linked together under the oversight of the adversary. We've seen how these concepts are prevalent today. These aren't just old concepts from the Bible. These have marched right through history, and we are amidst a Marxist society today which is in direct opposition to Scripture. We saw today God's promise to use Babylon, and we're going to be getting into that a little bit next week as well. His promise to use Babylon against Judah to teach them a lesson, to help bring them back. We had a good youth study today where we noted Briefly in Daniel 4, where Nebuchadnezzar, for seven years, completely lost his mind and lived as a wild animal. Those seven years that we read about were really just the culmination of a very unstable leader. This man was very unstable. So what I'd like to do today in a Complimentary, complimentary message to the youth study today is take a closer look at King Nebuchadnezzar. And what I'd like to do in, in completing this character review is see what lessons we can apply to our journey here in this world, in this world that is coming apart at the seams. Let's see what we can learn from this leader named King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's go back to Daniel 1. We're going to go through many of the scriptures, actually, that we went through in the youth study. But as I say, it's, it's complementary. We'll cover some, some different angles. And in some respects, also dovetail off of them. So Daniel chapter 1. We'll pick it up right at the beginning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. 
Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. So as we get an introduction here to King Nebuchadnezzar, we see that he is like most kings. He's charismatic. He went in and besieged Jerusalem. And people just, his, his followers, his soldiers followed along. But he went in, he was very charismatic, he was very powerful. He was very decisive, and he was fearsome. He gets what he wants. He gets what he wants. He wanted some of these boys of Judah to come. He just called them and said, this is what you're going to be doing. You're going to, you do, you're going to be doing these three years of training. You're going to eat this food. You're going to drink this, the, these drinks. Whatever Nebuchadnezzar wanted, he got. Very powerful, charismatic leader. As we looked in the study, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. And we clearly have a connection back to the food laws. Obviously, this was, as Sister Olivia pointed out, this was a Babylonian diet. They were not subject to and did not follow the laws of Scripture. But Daniel stood strong and would not eat of that. So the conversation continues. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and drink. Why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. Listen, we need to talk here. I appreciate that you don't want to eat this, that this is not part of your culture. But I'm scared of this guy. By you saying no, you're putting my life on the line here. Can we compromise here? Can you just do something here? I don't need this getting back to the king, that if you don't eat this stuff, you're going to clearly look different. You're going to be emaciated. You're not going to be as healthy as the, other, as the others. This guy scares me. Can, we, can you help me out here? This is our first inkling of the control that King Nebuchadnezzar had over his people. Something like what the young boys eat at school should never reach the king. That should be something that he puts under control of whoever's overseeing the education of these young boys. But he had such control that even Daniel, one out of how, I don't know how many there were, one guy saying, I can't eat this. This guy was saying, I'm fearing for my life here. We need to do something. We continue the story. Let's drop down to verse 12. We won't go through all of Daniel here. We'll pick and choose here. Daniel says, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. 
Then let our appearance be examined before you, and the appearance of the young men who eat the portions of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all of the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Daniel responded with facts. That's all he did. He didn't get emotional. He was calm. He was resolved. Saying, listen, okay, I see your fear. Why don't we do this? Let's try this way. And we'll see how it works. Daniel's confidence in God's way, as was pointed out by the young people in the study, he had full confidence that this test would work because he knew God's way works. But in doing this, he was calm. This chief of the eunuch, as we see, was scared. He was coming to someone who should have been obedient and was trying to negotiate with him. He was trying to go negotiate with him out of his fear. Daniel was calm, resolved, and operated by facts. Let's just follow God's way, and we'll test this out. We'll see what happens. Working through the rest of the first chapter of Daniel, you can do that on your own time, we see the overview of the service of the four Israelite boys throughout the Babylonian Empire. All the way through, interesting that Daniel 1 sort of gives an overview, all the way into the Medo-Persian Empire. Then in chapter 2, it goes back and picks out some stories that we, again, as we covered in the youth study. Let's go to chapter 2 and verse 1. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. This wasn't a single incident where he had a dream and he woke up, as we, you probably have done, and said, oh, that was, that was weird. You know what I dreamed about last night? What does this mean? He had dreams. This was something that he, that was, he was going through. So much so that he had trouble sleeping. This is a repetitive pattern here. It wasn't one dream that was so far-fetched it bothered him. But it was a series of dreams that plagued him so badly for so long that he couldn't sleep. What happens when you can't sleep? When you have, I don't know if you've ever had that. I, I, ha, I can say I don't have that issue. If I can't sleep for two hours, if I have one night where I can't sleep, because I sleep so well, two hours drives me nuts. I, I can't imagine what it is like if you can't sleep. But I know people that can't sleep. And it is, it is maddening. It is maddening. Here we have a king who couldn't sleep because of all these dreams that were happening to him. Skip ahead. Let's hold your place in there. Skip ahead to verse 28 and see why. Why was this so troubling? There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. And for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. So these dreams are now coming from God. We know this. Nebuchadnezzar at the time didn't. He didn't know they were coming from God. 
So he's having trouble sleeping. And in his mind, the purpose of the dream as we read here, was what would happen to him in his kingdom. He was, as we heard in the study, and as we know, he was such a powerful, vain leader that it was all about him and his kingdom. And what God was going to reveal to him was the progression of his kingdom, the degression of his kingdom, eventually would be replaced by future kingdoms, which is not the purpose of this this message. Let's go back to verse 5. So we have this charismatic, decisive leader who is very particular about being in control and can't sleep. So he's having trouble sleeping. But he's very much likes to be in control. He calls everyone in the kingdom known to deal in magic and sorcery. Verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. So he calls from amongst the entire kingdom, everyone that has anything to do with magic, sorcery, dream interpretation, brings them all to him. And remember we studied the rich witchcraft and how the Greek word for witchcraft is pharmakeia. And a lot of this has to do with the altering of the mind. So we've got, he's got all of these wise men, magicians, and sorcerers who practice the altering of the mind to come and advise him about these dreams. And he's a control freak, and he can't sleep. And his answer is, you give me this answer, or you're, I'm going to slaughter you all. If you do give me the answer, you'll be the greatest in the kingdom. Slaughter or the greatest in the kingdom. This is unstable. This is clearly unstable. This is the irrationality that everyone was up against. This is who was leading the empire. These wise men, sorcerers, magicians... They weren't unwise. They developed some stalling tactics. We see this in verse 7. They answered and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give it interpretation. So walk us through all your dreams, and we'll be able to give this to you. The king, again, unstable, volatile. I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. You're just delaying here. You can't give me the dream. I told you if you can't give me the dream, I'm going to slaughter you. You just want me to talk on and on and on to give you some time to come up with with anything. Come up with something. He catches on. Again, as we covered in the youth study, verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. King, this, this is an, as, as, as a group, we're telling you this is impossible. We, we can't do this. You're asking the impossible. 
No one on earth can do this. None of our gods, our gods don't speak to us, as was pointed out during this study. Our gods don't speak to us. We have no idea. You're asking the impossible. For this reason, the king was angry, verse 12, and very furious. There was, there was no compromise here. There was no rational thinking here. This was, you can't give me this? Okay. Employing the, the warriors, go slaughter. If they are a magician, if they are a wise man, if they are a sorcerer, get busy slaughtering, and don't forget to burn their homes to the ground. This is what the entire kingdom was up against. No one in the king's guard protested. Not one. Not one said, this isn't right. So, you know what? They didn't give them some time. Let's give them a week. Let's give them some time. No one protested. The king's guard just got busy slaughtering. Verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he answered and said to him, why is, this, why is the decree of the king so urgent? This doesn't sound that urgent, that he needs to slaughter now. The story continues. You can take time to read through verse 23 on your own time. But the with counsel and wisdom, as it says in verse 14, the group of four, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, gathered, prayed, and counseled together as to what God would have them do. They were calm. Notice the difference. They were not unnerved. They just got together as a group, as we would do here, and prayed together and talked about it and counseled and considered their options. And their option was, let's go to God. Let's leave it in God's hands. Let's find out what he would have us do. It's particularly interesting to see their calmness in the face of the fear that had beset the entire nation. The entire nation was beset with fear of this irrational leader, and yet they remained calm. The next 20 verses, verses 24 to 45, we'll leave that. that those are... We'll leave that aside today. Our purpose today is not to go into the prophetic interpretations. Though we know the extreme significance they play in understanding not only history, but where we are today. We've studied that in depth, and we'll continue to study that in depth here. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. Daniel was able to interpret the dream. That's what those... 21 verses there go through, and you can take time to read that. And in receiving this interpretation from Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Even here, we see his volatility. Daniel was able to provide this interpretation, 
And he immediately fell and worshipped the man. Because that man gave him what he desired. So from Daniel, by even coming before the king, opened himself up to slaughter. That was, if he didn't provide this, if God didn't give him this revelation, he would be slaughtered. But he was calm about it. He provides this interpretation, and King Nebuchadnezzar falls and worships him. He also, as we note, maintained a belief, and as we covered in the study, he maintained a belief in the other gods. Your God is the best God of all the gods because of this. Likely hedging his bet. Wanted to make sure he had enough irons in all the fires. But here, he didn't give up his belief here in the other gods. He just said, your God's the best God of the other gods. And he continued, as we see here, to keep the wise men on staff. So he continued to employ those who were part of, who, who believed in the mind-altering pharmacaea. And interestingly, and this is just a thought, God obviously wanted Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in place to have some influence in King Nebuchadnezzar's court. Much like we have Pastor Ramakan of high influence over in Britain. But think about this from King Nebuchadnezzar's standpoint. Daniel interprets a dream and is made the best chief ruler of all that. That is some promotion. He was not, from King Nebuchadnezzar's standpoint, this was an unqualified promotion, simply because he was reacting to receiving what he wanted to receive. God obviously had a play in here. That's, that's a separate issue, that God wanted Daniel there. But this was from one side all the way to the other. In, in one inter- dream interpretation, Daniel is now chief ruler in all the land. He's head of Babylon because of a dream interpretation. That is, that is from one extreme to the other. And we see this volatility in King Nebuchadnezzar's character. Daniel 3. We'll move on to Daniel 3. The first three verses set the stage for Nebuchadnezzar creating this image of gold. Dropping down to verse 4. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So failure to worship this image of King Nebuchadnezzar that was created would result in immediate execution. That was his decree. Interestingly enough, this was in the province of Babylon. We see it in verse 1. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. This was the province where Daniel was the chief ruler. And Daniel had no say in this. Daniel, a man of God, who he had flippantly set up as chief ruler in Babylon, he completely left, left out because he was, re, he was, again, reacting to this self-glorification. Daniel would have stood up. Daniel should have been involved in this decision. He was the chief ruler. Nebuchadnezzar himself made him chief ruler. But in his volatility, he just said, you know what, that sounds like a good idea. 
this, this serves my ego. No counsel with those he placed in authority. That leads to irrational decisions. The counsel of many is wisdom, God tells us. Here, he didn't even counsel with the guy he trusted that he placed over all of Babylon just to service his own ego upon a pain of excruciating death for failure to obey. Verse 13, drop, we know the story. We're just going to cover highlights here. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up for you? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image I have made, good. But if you don't, you shall be cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? He placed Daniel as chief ruler because his God revealed this to him. And not, not, many, not much time later, completely forgetting about this, which God's going to save you? Which God is going to save you? Again, irrational thinking. What had got him to this spot, which he, he knew and he said so, was the God of Israel, the God of gods at this point. Here, which, which God... Which God will save you? Utter rage. Utter rage towards them without cause. And complete disregard for the God of gods. That he had previously acknowledged. Placed him and them in their current positions. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So he's so mad. Let's heat this thing up seven times more than it has ever been heated up before. No concern for safety. No concern with whether it's even going to work. We haven't done this before. Let's just do it. You know what? I'm king. I'm mad. Let's, let's heat it up farther than it's ever been heated up before. And you know what? You guys go do it. And they were instantly killed. It was so hot. Again, stuff we read over, when we, get, try to, when we get through and, and glean what's really important here, which is the, is the prophetic interpretations. But as we consider Nebuchadnezzar's character, this guy was completely unstable. Completely unstable. Verse 29. Again, coming through the other side and realizing that their God was the better God. The God of Israel was the better God. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants and trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces 
and their houses be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver this. Again, a slight defense of the God of Israel, but this is much like we learned from the Genesis 3 study. This is good for evil. This is good for evil. He defended the God of Israel. All he did really was say, don't say anything bad about him. Just don't say anything negative because I'm not quite sure. He seems to always come through, and I'm not quite sure. So let's just appease him, and let's just not say anything negative. And if you do, the slaughtering begins again. So clearly he didn't understand the God of Israel, who would not have sanctioned this slaughtering. Daniel 4, verse 26. Daniel here suggests repentance, righteous living, and leading with mercy and humility. Why don't you, King Nebuchadnezzar, try being a real leader, a godly leader? Let's try repentance. Let's try living from a righteous standpoint. Let's serve with some mercy and humility here. Verse 26, inasmuch as they gave command to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be, may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Maybe you can show God you're starting to come along here and he'll extend your kingdom if you act in a fashion that he expects leaders to act. And at the end of 12 months, we read verse 28. He was walking about the royal palace of Babylon must have caught a glimpse of himself in one of the royal mirrors and said, man, I'm pretty good. I am pretty good. The king spoke saying, is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and the honor of my majesty? Within a year, he was back to servicing his own ego. It is interesting, and we read that, that after his seven-year episode, the last we hear from him is that he praised the God of Israel as supreme, as the, the sovereign God, without any hints at there being other gods. He wasn't now longer the God of gods. He was the God of Israel. He was, as, as we read here, the king of heaven, whose works are truth and his ways are justice. Interesting. But the fact remains that the empire stayed intact. God's people remained under Babylonian rule, and they even continued, as you, if you go into chapter 5, with his grandson, Belshazzar, they continued using the temple artifacts in their feasting. So, interesting that he came to acknowledge the God of Israel, but he still kept the, the people of Judah under, under charge and continued to use the temple artifacts. Let's go back to Genesis 3. connect this to some of the previous messages we've been studying through lately. When we read things like we read today or read last week or read the week before and see the instability and volatility in today's leaders, they're just as unstable as King Nebuchadnezzar. 
They're just as unstable as him. They dress nice. They sound good in their little photo ops and, and snippets. They sound like they're, they are intelligent and they've gone to the finest schools and can communicate with us and they have our best, best interests at heart and they know what they're talking about. Their actions belie them with the stuff that, with the laws that they pass, with the, the, the laws that cover our land. Genesis 3. We had a couple of detailed studies from Deacon Jan and Pastor Adrian talking about when access to God and his Holy Spirit is cut off through the, through the tree of life, as we see here. Genesis 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden to till, to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Man at this point, as we've studied numerous angles, has been cut off from God here. So much so as we read, we read where they instantly knew they were naked and feared. When they compromised and Adam compromised. Man is cut, was cut off from God here. Genesis 6. Genesis 6. Verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and was grieved in his heart. We go from being in the garden, Adam and Eve, in unity with God to being cut off from the tree of life. And what is the result? Complete evil within ten generations. Complete evil. Complete evil. Genesis 10. We go through the cleansing of the earth, through the flood. And again, something we've studied. We're just we're linking it all here together. So We've studied this over the last couple of years. Genesis 10, verse 8. Cush begot Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one on the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalne, in the land of Shinar. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kalah, Rezin, and between Nineveh and Kalah, that is the principal city. And again, we're not going to get into this again, but just to tie this back in, Satan begins to use Nimrod to set up a kingdom to serve him. And it begins here. We go, as we've connected before, Genesis 16, verse 11. An angel is speaking to Hagar, Abraham's, Sarah's uh, servant, who Abraham slept with and received a son. 
The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. And he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man against him, every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. Esau, leader of of a family of wild men who will live their lives, whose purpose will be to live their lives against other men. We could go on and on and on and on with examples from Scripture as to the volatile nature of leaders who don't follow God. Leaders who do not follow God's standard of leadership and how volatile they are. And we can add to that list throughout history all those that were clearly unstable and irrational of thought. Which brings us to today and the rapidly changing face of our world and our nation, which we have covered seemingly ad nauseum, but it is so important. It is so important. And we can cover it from many different angles. Let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Bringing this up to today. As you're going there, we'll begin in verse 36. Don't neglect to see verse 15. Christ talking about the abomination of desolation that was spoken of by Daniel the prophet, which Pastor Adrian covered last year. That has a part to play in here in linking all of these things together. Verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, and remember what the days of Noah were, evil. So evil that God was sorry he made us. That's how bad it was. As in the days of Noah, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and didn't know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. They were so wrapped up in themselves, in servicing themselves, in servicing their desires. They had no, it says they had no clue what was even going on. Noah, referred to in Hebrews as a prophet, yet the people had no clue until the flood swept them away. Oh, you know, it looks like it's raining out today. Maybe we'll cover the tomato plants. And all of a sudden, if you've seen, and I happen to be watching the news that during the tsunami that hit Japan several years back, and they had, they had no clue it was coming, and it just washed clear right through for miles, and they had no chance and didn't know it was coming, similar to what God is saying here. We have reviewed warnings like this here. We've studied the book of Revelation together. We must continue to talk about these things so that we maintain our sense of calm, so that we maintain our, our rational thinking process, so that we maintain our faithful obedience to God. We look back at Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The place, was, the place was just a place of fear. 
the people that worked for Nebuchadnezzar were scared. So much so, they didn't even like to hear that one person was going to eat vegetables. It, was, it, it unnerved them all. That didn't matter to Daniel and his friends. They just got together, talked about it, prayed together, went to God, and everything was fine. We must continue to continue to talk about these things so that we maintain our calm, that we continue to be rational of thought, that we continue to be resolved and faithful to God. Let's go to Ezekiel 28. Let's see how God, to Ezekiel, describes the degeneration of Lucifer into the adversary who now oversees this world. Ezekiel 28. Verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Remember iniquity, sin, transgression, iniquity. Let's not forget what Deacon Jan talked to us about three years ago. Again, all these things, as we continue to read these things, we can't forget about these messages that we hear. We should continue to bolt these on. Remember what what we talked about. Sin, transgression, iniquity. Satan here, Lucifer, until iniquity was found in him. That's an important word. By the abundance of your trading, verse 16, you became filled with violence within. You became filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. Violent, profane, filled with iniquity, filled with violence. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You loved yourself. And you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Your wisdom, your thinking process has been corrupted. Your thinking process has been corrupted. That's the key here. If the God of this world leads from a viewpoint of corrupted wisdom, why should we be surprised when the leaders of this world behave in such irrational ways? Why should we? It shouldn't surprise us. And it shocks me that it, it unnerves people, that it unnerves Christians, that it unnerves people in the faith who are now finding themselves taking sides and trying to figure out who's better when the leaders of this world work for him and he has, his wisdom has been corrupted. We will now welcome cultures and turn a blind eye to honor killings that violate the sanctity of the family unit. We will not say a word if you practice abhorrent rituals on baby girls. And we won't even mention the need to, become, to get a job when you get here, we won't say that. If you think that this is absolutely unfathomable, that you can't get your head around this, then thank God that you possess that kind of wisdom by his grace. Don't become unglued by it. Don't pick sides. Don't try to figure out which is better. Don't become unglued. Become resolved. Become resolved. Let's go to Romans 1. At the end of the youth study, Olivier talked about this concept. But I want to go to Romans 1 and finish up here. About God, when we make a, when 
man makes a decision to turn his back, God will let us participate in that so we can figure out just how bad it is. So he has an opportunity, hopefully, to bring us back. But he'll let us, he'll let us go. Romans 1. This is what happens when people turn their backs on God, as Adam did, as we've just recently studied, and chose to, when he chose to serve the God of this world. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Satan uses his servants to suppress truth, to act in an unrighteous way so that God's truth is suppressed, so that we, we get, become confused. Is this right? Maybe this is right. Maybe this is right. There's no, there's no standard set anymore. It is just an unrighteous standard, and people are confused. And now people don't know, don't know what is even right or wrong. So we get votes like we had this week where, you know what, that sounds pretty good. I can sign up for honor killings. I can sign up for hurting my baby girl. I can sign up for, come, I'll pay you to sit around and do nothing. Verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the, of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. As we read through this, think of what we've studied. Think of what we've talked about today, King Nebuchadnezzar. Think about what we talked about in Genesis 3. Think about what we talked about with Nimrod. Think about what we've talked about in all the numerous things I've been reminding us about here today that we've been talking about for the last two or three years. And see it in this. See it in what Paul describes here. Denying the existence of a creator despite all of the overwhelming evidence around us. We don't need the scripture. We don't need the Bible to go, there's something, that something did this. This just didn't happen. Call it artificial intelligence. Call it uh, artificial intelligence. Wrong. Call it a, a, whatever the word is. I'm, I'm losing the word. Call it a, a higher intelligence. Without the Bible, just call it higher intelligence. Because you know something out there did it. Until you find that it's God, that you come across this and someone preaches the gospel to you. But higher intelligence is the right answer. Because something did this. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore God also gave them up to their uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the, the lie, for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Look around us. Look around us. Worshipping the self, worshipping our own desires, and worshipping the created rather than the creator. We have laws that are passed now that do just this. We have laws that do just this. So that was one thing Paul talked about here. Verse 26 
For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Homosexuality is a sin that stands out from amongst the rest. It stands out when it becomes part of what helps society reject God. It is a different sin. It all leads to death. But homosexuality contravenes the marriage covenant and contravenes the family unit. And it makes it, that's, we've talked about that within the last month, the, the, the sanctity of the family unit, the sanctity of the marriage covenant. God, Paul here, through God, specifically highlights that here. The service of self and this connotation that homosexuality is okay. He could have picked any of the other commandments, but he picked a couple of these here and specifically talked about this because this is a sin that violates the family unit and violates the marriage covenant. The belief in marriage and family is foundational to being a follower of God. It's the very first thing God taught Adam. We saw that back in our studies. Our message, though, for those of you who are listening to this on, on audio, is twofold. If, and let me be specific, if you are a recovering homosexual who acknowledges the vileness of this sin and want to walk in the harmony with God's law, you are welcome here. We welcome you. But you cannot bring that practice into here and promote this vileness. Not because we don't love you as a person, but because it absolutely violates the sanctity of the basis of God's of, of, of this life. Marriage and family. We can't get around that. It represents every it, it stands for everything we believe in, our relationship with God, our relationship with Christ. If you believe it is wrong and you ha- and you struggle with that sin, I struggle with sins. If, that I know are wrong. If you struggle with this sin, you are welcome here if you want to repent and, and, and recover. What is unacceptable is the promotion of this lifestyle because, as Paul says here in verse 18, it suppresses truth in unrighteousness. It suppresses truth in unrighteousness. Let's go on to verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting and as Caitlin read being filled with all the right unrighteousness sexual immorality wickedness covetousness maliciousness full of envy murder strife all self-serving serving my needs my desires not having any care for anybody else backbiters haters of God violent proud boasters continuing through this list who, verse 32, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So if you follow this, you deserve death, Paul is saying. The purpose of this whole book, and I encourage you to, in addition to listening to the Wednesday night Bible studies, jump on the Tuesday night Bible studies and hear Pastor Watson go through the book of Romans. He gave them over to a debased mind. This word, as you'll, you'll see Pastor Watson describe, means to be devoid of judgment. 
He removed their ability to make rational decisions. Why? Because he cut off the access to the tree of life right from the Garden of Eden and, and cut off our access to his Holy Spirit. Here, he just, as Sister Olivia mentioned in the youth study, he just gave them over to their debasedness. And without rational thought, without the ability to, to, to have sound judgment, to discern right from wrong, to apply that word diacrino that we've studied, to be able to properly discern right from wrong, all of this looks fine. Sure, I can participate in this, this, and this, because I have no moral compass. God says, you just, you know what, go. Go and do that. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to discern right from wrong. Rejecting God and man, reject God and man loses that ability to discern right from wrong. And we get what we get. So when we see all of these things going on around us, this is just more rational people employed by the adversary to suppress truth in unrighteousness. That's all that, that's all that we're seeing. King Nebuchadnezzar is a fascinating study. Not only does it lead us into all of that truth that we, that we glean in understanding the, these prophetic interpretations from Daniel and, and, and the, the calmness that we get in understanding what is coming down the pipe. That, that as Revelation says, when we read this, we, we, we glory God because we know we, get, we, have, we have these answers ahead of time that this stuff is going on. That we see this throughout Scripture and history shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that we see Satan's leaders acting throughout the pages of Scripture. Ahab, Jezebel, Pilate, Herod. Just go through the list and you'll see irrational behavior, volatile behavior. That we see it today shouldn't unnerve us. And that's why we continue these discussions. That's why we come together like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and talk about these things and keep each other grounded and say, hey, look at this. This happened again this week. This happened this week. It shouldn't unnerve us. It shouldn't unglue us. And it shouldn't surprise us. Let's close verse 16 with the words of the Apostle Paul. This is what grounds us. When we see all of this, when we see all of this going on, this is what grounds us. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.